You're listening to the Regent College Podcast. Welcome to the Regent College Podcast. I'm your host, Claire Perini, and today we're talking, talking with two fine gentlemen from various parts of the world. Uh, Dr. Ross Hastings uh, is a professor here at Regent, and you might have heard him earlier on another podcast. Uh, he's uh, a Zimbabwean Scot, and he holds two PhDs, one in chemistry and one in theology. Uh, he's also the host of this year's Pastors Conference, which we're going to talk a little bit more about. Andre Fritas is a Brazilian, a lively Brazilian, I think I would say. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Uh, who used to, had, before Have coming you ever to Regent. A Brazilian that's not lively. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, before coming to Regent, was a journalist in Brazil, uh, and he's in his third year of an MA and he's almost done. So, friends, thanks for joining us. Thank You're you. You're welcome. So this pastor's conference that's coming up is called Ambassadors, Christ in the Public Square. Mm-hmm. What is the public square? Yeah, so first of all, ambassadors is the concept that uh, we represent the embassy of Christ here on earth. Um, we represent his kingdom as the people of God. The public square is somewhat of a confusing term in some ways. I think in one sense, it's the whole of life on earth. And the fact that every Christian is called, uh, whatever their vocation, to be a voice for Christ um, and to have a life for Christ uh, in the public square, um, having an influence um, for Christ and representing the King in ways that are appropriate to Jesus. So that involves um, living out the cultural mandate. It involves care for creation, in other words. It involves a vocation as an orientation towards that. Secondly, it involves the great commandment, love God and love neighbor, uh, which involves justice. And thirdly, it involves the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. And I think all three of those need to be together when we talk about the public square. But then there's another sense in which the public square, we tend to think of it as the political realm. And um, that uh, is very relevant for our times. It's such a, um, such a fractious place right now, both in Canada and in the States and in other, other countries uh, like Brazil. And uh, so we need to talk about how, how, do, how, do, how does the church relate to the state mm. and how do Christians uh, relate uh, in the public square. Mm. And so how do, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. How does the church relate to the state? And Andre, feel free to kind of jump in on how you've seen that it work out not or not work in Brazil. But Ross, do you want to give us a, what, well, what is that relationship? What does that, what does that mean? How has that historically been understood? How do we understand yeah. that relationship? That's quite complex in one sense. Um, you have an awareness in Paul that he's a Roman citizen. At the same time, he says your citizenship is of heaven. So there's a, and Jesus speaking about being salt and light on the earth. So um, on the one hand, every Christian is called to be part of the church. But I think of the church, um, many Christians think church and and state are are separate. And that's true. I think they are distinct in terms of governance. Um, So, for example, the state can't be forgiving 70 times 7 over, like Jesus said. The state can't do that. But nevertheless, we would argue, I think, certainly those of reform perspective would argue, it's still under God um, and subject to the Decalogue. We can't exactly say that in today's post-Christian culture. Um, Might not go down so well. Whereas people in the church (laughs) and in response to persecution are meant to forgive 70 times 7. Mm. So there's a distinct distinct governance relation. I mean, you have such a variety of thought, even throughout the centuries of the Christian church, where you have church and state very much separate uh, in New Testament times, until Constantine, all of a sudden, the state is the church. Mm. 
and uh, and so that gets quite complicated. And then um, in the Re- Reformation, there's a separation of church and state. But as I've said, I want to emphasize the reformers believed both were under God, and very much would call the church to be influential in the, in the state. Um, how we do that is, is so crucial, of course. Uh, whereas in the Anabaptist response to a reaction to that, there was a separation of church and state. Um, and some of us grew up in very pietistic backgrounds where the church had nothing to do with the state other than to evangelize. Um, and so one needs a nuanced way of thinking about the church. I would argue that the church, in light of the fact that gospel is for all humanity, in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which reaffirms creation and, and humanity, the church has a responsibility to be engaged, not to be separatistic. Mm. Um, how it's engaged, of course, um, must be, I think, in the spirit of Christ. Uh, and so how much they can become involved in sort of power politics, um, that's, that's, that's debatable and, and that's a challenge. Mm. Andre, you, you, you have experience of a country where uh, there's a very sort of vocal Christian presence and then much confusion, it seems, in terms of, of Christianity and the state. Yeah. Do you have some thoughts on how this works? Uh, if I may add something, I would say that um, the idea of political square or political sphere or public square like we are talking here uh, should remind us that we are not alone so we can identify ourselves as church very this is very clear for most christians but uh, when we talk about public square we are saying we are not alone Uh, we are out of the church and we are going to the hospital we are going to the university we are going to our job to do our things and we want meet just Christians. Mm. We will find people who are not believers at all. And we have to engage with these people. Mm. And my question is, is there a Christian way to engage with non-Christians? Mm. And that is uh, uh, my main concern about uh, public square. Mm. And what should we say to the church? Uh, I know most people are still saying that we should not engage at all. We should just wait for Christ, and Christ will burn out this this world. <laughs> this catological perspective is still alive, mm. uh, unfortunately, and still alive in Brazil. Um, I would say that the church is, is a very uh, vibrant church, and still growing in Brazil. Brazil is not secular. We, we, we cannot say that. Ninety-something mm. percent of people are still saying we believe in God and we are connected to uh, some churches. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit confusing, but when people go to the public square, uh, I think they have uh, a lot of difficulties connecting their faith and their real life. Mm. So... As church, we have to fix this, mm-hmm. and leadership has to fix this. We have to, to say something to Christian people how to engage mm. in the public square. And we cannot idealize the public square at all, and we cannot idealize the church as well. Mm. And what I'm trying to say is, when you go to the public square, we are not going to evangelize only. Mm. Um, but we are, we are still Christians. Mm-hmm. So how to go to the public square and not to evangelize all the time and how to go to the public square but still 
being Christian there. So lots of questions. I'm not bringing yeah. any any <laughs> important answer, but oh, no, that's good. <laughs> I think there really are two. I t- tend to think of two fundamental questions. Number, uh, should me should we and on what basis can the Christian can the church engage in the public square? Um, and then how? Mm. Okay. So should we? I would argue fundamentally yes. Yeah. Uh, our orientation is towards all creation, towards humanity. Um, and Karl Barth said it beautifully. He said the church, I said this in the previous podcast, so forgive, forgive me, but it's really relevant here again. The church is her true self when she exists for humanity. So I don't think the church can just sort of model the community of love and justice uh, in isolation from the world. I think it must model love and justice um, and all aspects of what it means to be Christian, but it must do so and somehow make that visible and somehow speak when it has an opportunity to speak and live and as people live. One could also make a distinction between should the church speak and should a Christian speak? Mm. Um, Mm. I mean, Martin Luther said, a Christian, there is nobody better in the world to be a magistrate than a Christian. And he thrust out his people to go and be influential in the political sphere. And I I would tend to agree with that. Mm. Um, So in my own mind, I don't, I don't think we have a choice. We're meant to engage. The tough question is, how can we engage in a way that's characteristic of Jesus, that's characteristic of this as servanthood that he reflected, that's, characteristic by, that's characterized by how he influenced influence his disciples and his church not to fight against Rome or declare independence or any of those things, but to live Christianly, I, I think, in the hope that ultimately those values will make a difference in the world. Um, mm. I, yeah. I like, I like uh, what I read from Rodney Stark, mm-hmm. the American sociologist, um, talking about the rise of Christianity. And that idea uh, about the early church is still really important for me. Mm-hmm. For example, he's saying that the church was not a, a majority church, so that group of Christians, they were not even close to, to be a, a large group among the Roman Empire. So, but they were still Christians, and they were ready and willing to sacrifice themselves for the needy, for the poor, for the sick people. And that was very important, very re- relevant to understand the rise of Christianity. Yeah. Mm. And that calls to you here. So yeah. without the church, we wouldn't have had, likely not have had hospitals, nope. schools, mm. all of those things. That, that is our role, is to humanize. Yeah. And I think of the goal of, of evangelization as humanization. And uh, that's very much being in the public square. Um, helping people to live into the fullness of their humanity. Because I think theologically about this, on what basis can what the church says be heard in a secular culture and non-Christian culture? I would argue there's maybe two or three possibilities. So the Roman Catholic view is that on the basis of natural law, image bearers, whether they're Christian or not, can hear something of what right and wrong is mm-hmm. and, and can respond. Actually, reformers tended to have that viewpoint as well on the basis of some kind of natural law um, that people can respond. Um, there's also what I would call a more eschatological, soteriological view of somebody like Oliver O'Donovan reflecting Karl Barth in some ways, in which he's saying, um, you know, the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus in the middle of history uh, inspires the eschaton and uh, teaches us 
that God's desire and God's design is for all people to come to faith and to know salvation. And certainly um, we can, on, uh, on the basis of imago Dei, on the basis of, of the image of God in human persons, I think we, we can speak and we can be heard. And I think the other assumption I would have is that the Spirit of God is working on people all the time mm. in cultures and on individuals. Um, so therefore we can, uh, um, we can be, we should, we should and can be involved. Mm. Um, Andre, what about uh, your specific experiences of Brazil? Where, where have things gone wrong that mm. make you somewhat cautious about rightly cautious about the church and the state? Uh, I think church and the state, they are different, but uh, my cautious is about church and political powers. Mm. I think it could be dangerous to... I'm, I'm, I'm here more influenced by Jacques Ellul mm-hmm. and his mm. uh, concerns about uh, uh, church uh, looking for more and more and more power, uh, supposedly to advance the gospel. And but what I have to say is I'm pretty sure we can be distracted by uh, uh, from the gospel by by the political powers. So it's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, we have about 33, 35 percent of Brazilian population saying that they are evangelical Christians. So it's a it's a relevant number now, and we have 36 political parties mm. officially. Wow. Mm. So. And five of them who call themselves the Christian political party? Some of them. Okay. Some of them. So and how does this work out mm, in the church? It doesn't work out. <laughs> 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 because it's impossible to understand. Who can understand 36 political forces yeah. uh, working at the same time? And some of them connected to the, the Christian church. Mm-hmm. And even the Christian church is very hard to understand. And because we have so many denominations and different force, different interpretations. And uh, when we mix this with this political mass, uh, I think it's very, very, very easy to, to uh, be distracted uh, from the gospel. Mm. And, but beside that, uh, we have to talk about the temptations. Uh, political power, it's a big, big temptation. Mm-hmm. And a pastor who has a connection with uh, uh, an important politic politician, um, what is he looking for? Mm. That is my my other mm. tough question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, are we looking for a new Christendom? Yeah, because absolutely not. Uh, yeah. Uh, my thing is. Uh, why we need more political power? Okay, we can use political power for the sake of, of the gospel. Okay, let's say yes. But on the other hand, uh, with political powers uh, on our hands as Christians, we have to act like the state mm. sometimes. Mm. Right. And this is dangerous. Yeah, I agree. Because the Lord of the church is not the Lord of the state. See, well, that, that's... That's a tough one to, to, I mean, uh, God is the God of all creation. He's the God of the state in that sense. Um, you know, I, I, I think this is where we have a difference, actually, or one of the challenging differences was sort of an Anabaptist heritage, which tends to think of the state as under the devil mm-hmm. and, and God as Lord of the church. Mm-hmm. And the reform says, no, God is, Christ is the head of his church, but he's also the Lord. Um, 
recognizing, of course, there's a, a, a conflict going on there. Um, and I think this, uh, this side, sometimes you can have a tendency to withdraw. Mm. And on this side, a tendency to engage. And yes. sometimes, as the reformers did indeed, with force. Whereas, in fact, it seems to me that Jesus calls us to engage with forgiveness, not force. The state may use force in, in appropriate ways, but not, mm. uh, not the church. So, um, this is this, th- these are these are some of the challenging areas. But you know, in Canada, even it can be challenging. I pastored a church where we had people, politicians of different political parties in the church. Mm. Mm-hmm. We made a point that we would never express our support to any political party party we also have to be very carefully ethically you can't actually rent out your premises to any political party in canada without losing your um charitable status or something that, is that it charitable yeah. status yeah, yeah. Partic- particular particular um so i i one has to be careful and i think that's good and that's right it keeps it keeps the boundaries somewhat distinct but should the pastor therefore say nothing about anything when it comes to the election or should he or she be in the pulpit sharing kingdom perspectives that might influence the way people might vote. Um, you know, those are those are that's a fine line, right? Well, there. it's sort of it's the it seems to me there's two directions of saying, yep, yeah, Christians need to be into the state, but how should the state actually influence the church? Right. It's sort of so you're saying Christians, yep, need to go into the state or to the public square and be there, but how does how does it how does the reverse come in? It's almost like we're saying, no, no, I don't want a political party in the church. Oh, do you know what? Like it's almost, yeah. it can, can it only go one direction? Right. How does it go? Can it go the other direction? Which is sort of what you're saying. Like how do you, yeah, you can't have, do, you're not going to have a politician necessarily get up and give their view in church. But yeah. Yeah, let, let, let me make my thoughts more clear. Mm. Uh, I'm not a, an Anabaptist. No. So <laughs> I, I, I. And it's okay yeah. to be. Yeah, okay. okay. Be. That's fine. <laughs> but uh, but I, yeah. I believe God is God. Even with the yes. church and the state. Right. And but my thing is the the state is for impersonality. The state is all about bureaucracy. The state is I, I'm talking about the modern state. Yes. The state that we have now. And uh, the state should uh, consider all the citizens as numbers as equal people mm. and under the same authority and as Christians we are dealing with a more complex reality of creation and personhood mm-hmm. and we are not talking at all about bureaucracy or we shouldn't um, so it is hard to demand to the state to be like the church it is, it is unfair I would say uh, the state it is what it is. Uh, the the state is, is all about control, about solving problems, and the church sometimes will say, "Let's gonna pray. Mm-hmm. We cannot solve this problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's mm-hmm. wait on God." And so, so the modus operandi might be. Can you imagine yeah. someone saying, "Oh, state, let's gonna pray," or "State, let's wait on God. We cannot solve this problem. We cannot mm-hmm. tell this." Mm. These things to the to the state, yeah. so it's unfair uh, uh, to compare state and, and mm. church. You know, one area that where I think pastors can be influential in the state uh, in good ways that are not power driven is that there are many, well, certainly in our country, there are quite a few Christians who are in parliament. 
who do have perhaps an ear for what, what might be the Christian ethic for the moment. I mean, right now we're dealing with things like MAID, um, so medically assistance, uh, medical assistance in dying, mm. um, complex issues. Uh, you know, one of my, my hopes and wishes for politicians who are Christian is that they might be in consultation with theologians and pastors who have also thought deeply about these issues. Mm. Um, so that the grounds on which they might argue those require great skill. Mm. They can't argue them on the basis that the Bible says, mm. but they can argue it on the basis of natural law, perhaps. They can argue it on the basis um, of uh, you know, uh, intelligent intelligent ethics. Mm. And we, uh, we I, I, I think there's a great distance between Christian politicians who quickly become... Um, I think, engrossed uh, in very fast lives um, and in lives in which they're primarily concerned about, they can be primarily concerned about their constituency rather than principle, that perhaps the Christian church can have an influence in that regard. Mm. Um, I was once asked with a number of pastors from Canada to, to meet Christian politicians um, in Parliament in Ottawa, and that was the conclusion I most drew from what I observed of their lives, is that some input from a thoughtful um, theological perspective mm. on that could be accessed quite fast mm-hmm. would have been very helpful mm. uh, down there. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking. We, this, the conference that we're running is actually for pastors and leaders in the church. Yes. So what actually, um, what, is, what is the role of the pastor in helping equip ambassadors and how do, you, how, does the, how do pastors and leaders in churches do that? What does that look like? How do we, mm. how do we yeah, how do we do that? Yeah. I, I, I would say something about this because uh, I think leadership in the church has a major role. Mm, yeah, we, you were this. saying that earlier yeah. as well. That yeah. And if we are going to start to fix something, we should start by the leadership. Um, simply because it's easier. Um, so uh, we have national elections in Brazil this year, and I'm pretty sure that some pastors they will talk to their church very openly and with no shame at all mm-hmm. and saying we should vote for a Christian simply because this is a plural state and we have to to send our represents to the to the parliament and to to some cities and to some states and this is tricky because okay that's fine it's fair we, 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 as Christians, as a group, uh, we can have some representatives uh, uh, among the politicians. However, um, again, what we are looking for, because most time people will say pastors, leadership of the church, they will say, when we need this, we will call this guy to ask this, that. Mm. So we are basically asking favors, mm. and right. so we are afraid of something. This is some kind of compromise, yeah. Yeah, we are afraid of something. Yeah. We are afraid. Oh, we feel we don't have any Christians there. When we need something, we don't have anyone to to ask for. Mm-hmm. So, so the, uh, uh, yeah. th- that is a major danger mm. because we are compromising the, the the integrity and the independence of the church. Yeah. And we are doing, or we are giving, uh, mm. what is worst, we are giving something. There is no 
free lunch in politics too. <laughs> so it's true. And, and I'm going to you know, throw out a shocker. It might be that there's a non-Christian politician who might do a better job than the so-called Christian politician. And so mm-hmm. and that's okay. They're image bearers too. Mm. But I, you know what? The thing that we, you and I were chatting earlier, the, the concept of not engaging is probably one of the, the greatest concerns from which I come in a sense that I was raised in a denomination where we didn't even vote. Right. We were in You'd that never go well in Australia. Oh, you no. have to vote in you Australia. Vote, you get yeah. in tr- you get fined if you yeah. don't. Same in Brazil. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. yeah. But yeah. this was this was an argument uh, based on sort of not quite right. Anabaptist tradition, but um, it was actually after the Anabaptist. But the, the the bottom line is that's where I come from when I when I see sort of the huddle let's be a huddle of of great church or something, and let's be a huddle of Christians. I, I have an inner response and reaction to that. Mm. No, mm. we are not like the Trinity. Uh, the Trinity is communio in ecstasis. It's not just communio for its own sake. The, the, the triune God spilled over mm. in creation and redemption. Tell we, us more about what you mean by that. Yeah, so we, as the, the, the church is the image of the Trinity, um, Miroslav Wolf has written a whole book on that. Um, the idea that the church reflects the Trinity. The Trinity exists is the eternal existence of three persons who are for each other, um, and yet the the gospel suggests that the the triune being of God spilled over in love to create and then to redeem the world. Mm. We as the church, if we reflect the Trinity, are not just to be communio, not just to be a communion in which everybody loves each other. And as Walter Storff says, we're a community of justice because look at the way the persons of the Trinity treat each other justly. Uh, it's not just love and justice and a lovely, lovely little community that waits till Jesus returns in isolation, as Andre was saying, but that spills over. Um, and, we, and where we can, so for example, in a liberal, liberal democracy, this is what we were talking about, a liberal democracy. How did liberal democracy come around? I think one, some, of, some of the impulses from that come from a Christian heritage. The human rights of every human being because they're made in the image of God. I'm not quite sure what the basis for human rights is in our time because the part about being made the image of God has disappeared. I would argue that the, the, sta- the state in our country lives on borrowed capital, borrowed Christian capital. Um, hmm. and, and secondly, the value of tolerance, which the Christian church has not always done very well at, even in the time of the Reformation, but is a Christian value. How, why should we tol- be tolerant and treat people well um, in the state because they are made in the image of God. All human beings are made in the image of God, and that concept of, of, of tolerance uh, therefore affects how we are in the Christian square, and um, it influence us, influences us to be engaged, uh, given that Christian heritage, um, with a view, of course, to reflecting uh, the gospel there. Mm. ethics of the gospel and life of the gospel shalom as we were saying in the first podcast um, we've got to start showing people in our culture that the way of God the way of obedience to God say in sexual ethics is, is because God wants our good it's because God um, wants what is good and true and beautiful for us and, um, and when we go against uh, the ways of God, we, we pay the price. Mm. Can you remind us what you told to your church here in Canada about politics? What I told the church? Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know if it was a, a decision of the church, of the elders, or just a pastor advice. Oh, it would, you know, 
it would be something that would involve the whole leadership for sure. I couldn't speak in isolation on that. Okay. Um, but I don't think I did a particularly good job at that as a pastor. I think if I was a pastor now, I might do a better job of in the midst of crises speaking. I mean, I always did speak about you know, crises that would come up ethically in our culture or, um, you know, for example, when September 11th happened, what does the pastor do? Just mm. pretend it didn't happen? Mm. So, interest, so it's interesting. so interesting. That very Sunday, I was due to speak on Habakkuk chapter 1. It couldn't have been better. Mm. Uh, and I use it as an opportunity to speak about the fact that in the midst of great um, uproar and great challenge and great fear, God is still present. God is still at work. He is still sovereign. But you, you decided to not talk about political preference in the church. Oh, no, we would never talk about, oh, is that what you mean? I see. Yeah. No, we, we, that was... I think that's most, uh, it seemed to me most evangelical pastors in, in our country would uh, be careful not to show an allegiance to any particular party. So you decided to put a very clear limit. Yes, a yeah, clear limit. That is We might talk about, about um, ethical issues and, and political issues, but we would try to steer clear of that. And we can't show allegiance to a particular party, even with respect to the use of our buildings. So it does keep, it does keep a good... Uh, a good demarcation. So I would argue governance-wise, church and state are indeed separate, no question. Mm. Missionally, though, I see the church in the middle of the state, not outside it, mm. influencing uh, in, through the preaching of the gospel and all that that means for all of creation and for mm. all of humanity. Yeah. Uh, what, I, what I hope for the church, especially the Brazilian church this year, is... We have to learn how to put these limits, right, right, on this conversation mm. because yeah. uh, you feel like it's too it's too much. That's there's too it's much bleed or super too much, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, how does that influence? How does that impact people's experience, both of church and state? Then, how do you? In- especially because people are fighting, right? People yeah. are uh, are fighting not for the gospel or for the sake. They think it is for the sake of the gospel, but yeah. no, it's it's just about political preference and we we cannot say that uh, all Christians are ready for this kind of conversation yeah. okay we are Christians we yeah. believe we will be all together in heaven mm. and I, but I, I politics is a specific issue mm. yes I'm I not agree. trying to say people shouldn't talk or there are some special people to talk about this or that right. but what I'm saying is uh, we are not ready Uh, I think we shouldn't be Uh, but uh, we are not ready to use the church space the public service uh, the Sunday preaching to talk about this Mm. political earthly force because they don't care for us there is six political parties I'm not talking about the state the Mm. state is under very uh, a, a range a wide range of Political force. Mm. Yes, yeah. Muito obrigado. I think that... Um, I, I, here's how, Good Portuguese. Here's a frame <laughs> I find helpful in, in, in what you're saying, is what Christians agree to and go to the wall, wall for ought to be the Trinity, Christ, what we might call the Nicene Creed, or the Apostles' Creed. Mm. And that's the basis and ground for unity. It, it's also... Part of that, I think, is the ground for proper dialogue around issues that are non-essential, non-credal. Um, a lot of these opinions politically in, 
with, with people in a church where they differ don't relate to the creed. They don't relate to the non-essentials. And whether, whether it's a political matter or some, you know, I, let me illustrate. Uh, your view of eschatology, is it amel, pre-mel, post-mel? Uh, is it, uh, you know, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-mel? No, somebody said it's a preposterous business. But, uh, you know, the, the, bottom, the bottom line is we don't, we don't, we shouldn't argue and divide over those things. We can dialogue nicely about them. Similarly with political issues, you might have people in your church, you will have people in your church who differ in terms of which political party. They should be able to dialogue well uh, with each other, but there needs to be a line drawn and say, you, you, you know, we are united to Christ. We are united to the most essential things. So let's not allow any church that allows non-essentials to become major is going to be in trouble, mm-hmm. whether that's doctrinal or political. Um, the main things must remain the main things, and when those things are the plain things. Mm-hmm. The rest, it perhaps, perhaps belongs in another arena. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. And also, as church, we have some distinctive to say in the public square. Yes. We are not the best ones to, to talk about politics. We could be, but we are not. <laughs> And uh, what is distinctive? It's our preference as political animals? Uh, no, it's the gospel. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it, yes. it, it, we are just wasting our time, mm-hmm. our resource, yeah. and we are uh, exploding the bridges because we are publishing our yes. uh, um, political preference as a church, mm. and that is false. There is no political preference as a church. Yeah. We have individual individuals who yes. has whose has political preference, but yes. the yes. church has no one. Yes. Uh, yeah, if, that's what it's, it's. Go ahead. Yeah, if you if you study a bit about the story of the church, you cannot say we have a steady line on politics no mm. quite, quite well it's, it's that interaction between the individual and the corporate so that as you're saying the church itself doesn't have a preference but individuals might and so that interaction and between being an, and they should yeah. and the ambassador being at what point does the church say we as the church are unitedly going to say this and these are the keep the main things the main things mm-hmm. but then in the in that in the individual kind of realm that's where then the dialogue and and there's there's a there's more of a opportunity for there to be difference yeah. and diversity in opinion. And some of the, 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 the church statements are political statements mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. And sometimes we are saying, oh, homicides are evil. Yes. And we as Christians, we can say this is evil because the image of God is being yeah. destroyed. I, I worry a little bit about our Protestant churches in particular. You know, if you th- some of the, so there's a recent ethical issue in our country And the Catholic Church spoke up. Its bishops were united, and they spoke up to the government. Yeah. And, and, and it's something that relates to you know, something important ethically. We as Protestants, we're, we're, we're all over the place. Um, but anyway, this, all these aspects of this discussion, mm. I think, maybe whet your appetite for coming exactly. to get all the answers at our pastor's conference. <laughs> That's right. Um, actually, actually, seriously, I think it's going to be a great conference, and we have speakers that are uh, expert in some of these areas. And um, I... Really encourage you to come and look forward to continuing our dialogue on these issues. Coming along to the conference. Yes, we have some phenomenal speakers, starting with our own Ian Proven, who will speak on um, as, as, as a biblical scholar to this issue. Um, and I really look forward to that. Uh, our president, Jeff Greenman, will give an introductory uh, talk. 
Um, we also have, uh, very excitingly, Nikki Toyama Zeto, who, who is from the, she's the executive director of Evangelical Social Action, has been involved in a lot of social action, social justice issues. Um, and then we have Reverend uh, John Fees Aim, who is a senior pastor of Central Baptist Church in New York City, uh, which is somewhat of a hotbed in, in many ways of these political kinds of issues and how he preaches the word of God in that context. And then Mike Baird, uh, who you will know of. Aussie. A good Aussie. That time, uh, there's a few more Aussies South around. South Wales and has been to Regent. And uh, I think it's going to be an excellent time. You, you won't want to miss this conversation. Mm-hmm. Ross and Andre, thanks so much for your time and for a stimulating conversation. Thank Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Regent College podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit regent.net. That's R-G-N-T dot net.